0: you're listening to designing and building your dream home with kt if you'd like to reach out to today's guest carrie anderson aia she can be reached at carrie a622 at gmail.com that's carrie a622 at gmail.com you can hear today's program on the advantages of choosing a design slash build firm along with earlier episodes of this show wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.
1: Welcome to Designing and Building Your Dream Home. I'm your host, KT, and if you're new to this program, I'll give you a quick reminder of our This show is designed to educate its listeners on the industry's best practices involving the design and construction of a single family, custom residential home. Your dream home. A custom home can be small or large, located in a rural community or in a city. What makes it custom is intentional design. It's a home designed and built with a particular family in mind, your family. It's a home that maximizes your family's enjoyment of the structure while addressing such concerns as indoor air quality water waste, minimizing the annual cost to heat and cool the property, and many other considerations. These considerations can help your dream home qualify as more than just a custom home. It can be qualified as a high-performance home, delivering far greater value to you than a traditionally built home. Even though high-performance homes do not necessarily cost more than traditionally built homes, not all architects and builders build high-performance homes. In this program, we teach you the benefits of a high-performance home, how to identify one, and how to ensure that the architect and custom builder you choose to build your dream home is building you a high-performance home. How do we do that? By inviting leading architects, builders, and other residential construction design and construction professionals to share their knowledge with you. Welcome you again to the show. In keeping with that theme, I'm pleased to introduce today's guest to you. Carrie Anderson has been designing custom residential architecture in the Puget Sound region since 2004. Her projects range from small remodels and additions to multi-million dollar new construction projects. She received her bachelor's degree from the University of Wisconsin at Milwaukee and a graduate degree from the University of Washington. She's a licensed architect and PHIUS certified consultant, Carrie has been a passionate advocate for sustainable design throughout her career. She's dedicated to the merging of high performance, climate sensitive construction strategies, and merging those with beautiful design. Well, Carrie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Now, Carrie, just going back, it was several years ago when you and I first met. Uh, as I recall, we are at an event sponsored by the Seattle Grand Chapter, the Small Practice and Residential Construction Committee, and um, I think it was there that, that I first got to meet you.
2: Yeah, it was. Um, that group is called SPARK uh, for short, and I think I was just getting involved in that group at the time, and you were a very friendly face in a sea of of um my mentors, my peers and and it's just been so nice to get to know you ever since then.
1: Oh, thanks Carrie. <laughs> yeah, in those uh, AIA events there's always people that you're competing with, people that you work for, people that you know. Uh, <laughs> as a product manufacturer, uh I was uh non-threatening.
2: It's <laughs> <laughs> a very friendly face, I will say.
1: Thanks. So now <laughs> yeah. Carrie, uh since I got to uh, originally meet you um you have been appointed to the board of directors for AIA Seattle and i know that you're also still very involved with our local cran chapter spark mm-hmm. uh, can i assume that now that you're on the board of directors you're making a ton of money and thinking about retirement
2: oh sure you know a volunteer position with a nonprofit organization is where you make the big bucks <laughs>
1: <laughs> so yeah,
2: I'm I'm set. I'm good. Um, <clears throat> no, the <clears throat> the being involved with the board has been incredibly rewarding. Um I've I've been on since September of 2020 and I've had the opportunity to advocate for my fellow AIA members, um, su- suggesting program topics, negotiating dues increases, um, just in general helping to make membership valuable, and useful to my colleagues and friends in the industry. Um, I've also met some really wonderful people on the board. It's been a great opportunity for me to get out of my residential bubble, meet architects who do institutional or education, hospitality, um, also introduced to engineers, vendors. It really is a broad circle of people. And it's just gotten me out of my normal comfort zone, which was was. Just been a great way to expand my circle and my network in the industry.
1: That's awesome. Well, doing a lot of volunteer work myself, I can say that I have a sense of what of what you are contributing to the community. And I just want to take this opportunity to thank you for the countless hours that you've donated in support of um, the AIA, especially here in the Northwest, and just residential architecture in general. Thank you.
2: Well, it's been my pleasure, absolutely. Um, Again, I joined the board in the fall of 2020 and it was during the pandemic. So I was really just craving connection at that time. These Zoom meetings were new and we were just all getting used to that platform. And I'm just so excited to now being continually involved as we're coming out of the pandemic. There's still a lot of Zoom meetings But there's also a lot more in-person connections now, and I'm I'm just enjoying being able to explore those connections even further, those relationships that were developed online in the pandemic, and and welcome other people to the table as we all are looking for more in-person connections these days.
1: Uh, That's well, well said. Well, Carrie, let me just jump in with you. Uh, For several years now, you've been a part of a monthly seminar series put on by Uh, AIA Seattle called Ask an Architect. And uh, I remember sitting through some of those sessions and uh, uh, listening to the course content. And I remember just some really valuable lessons that were like if you were building something and you had a friend that was an architect, it's like the the kinds of questions you'd ask and the kinds of answers that someone who really cared about you having a success with your project would share with you. We don't have time to get into all the topics that were covered, but would you be able to share with the listeners um, an example of one of those topics where, where it would really benefit someone to have an architect on their project as opposed to going it on their own. Like, as you know, some, some States don't even require Mm -hmm. that you have an architect. So uh, what, what are some of those nuggets of, uh, of, of knowledge from ask an architect that you could share with the listeners?
2: Well, I think that that program was so vast, as you mentioned, I think it's hard to really distill it down to a a few nuggets. But overall, I think it's the difference between the distinction between residential architecture and homeowner clients versus commercial or institutional where those clients have done these types of projects before. They know what they're getting themselves into. A developer in a multifamily building, for example, they've likely done multiple buildings in the past. They know what to expect. They know how to engage in the process and participate in the process, because that is so important is the client's participation with us. And so I think a big piece of the Ask an Architect program, and one of the most important pieces for me, was educating the client, setting their expectations and explaining how they can get engaged in the process because I think those key pieces of education, expectations and engagement are really important for a successful um, client and architect relationship. Uh, The Ask an Architect program described the process, the design and build process from start to to finish. It was super detailed. It usually took about three, three and a half hours for a presentation.
1: I remember. So,
2: well, it's a long program to distill down into this, but I think those are really the fundamentals. And,
1: and yeah, it's- it was a good session. Well, <laughs> let me ask you this. I know you're just touching the highlights, but if someone was looking to uh, design and build uh, a new home, if and they engaged your firm, would you be sharing some of those things that you shared in the Ask an Architect session with your clients in terms of helping them to ramp up and have a successful project?
2: Yes, absolutely. Um, my team and I have actually developed some internal tools that we share with our clients all the time. Uh, very similar to, and, and we did learn some few things from the Ask an Architect program And we have all of those tools at our our disposal for our own clients' education and reference. And we again, we feel it's a very important process to get the client on board and and set expectations from the beginning.
1: Excellent. Well, at the end of the show, I'll have you share the uh, how to get in touch with you info um, for the listeners so that they'll be able to reach out. So, as I've outlined in some of the earlier shows, when it comes to the design and construction of a new home, buyers have options. Through this program, we're gonna walk through some of those options. And um, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on, Carrie, is because I know that the firm you're at now is a design build firm. So a homeowner has the option of choosing an architect to handle the design portion of the project and they can choose a custom builder to uh, handle the build out of the home, or they can hire a firm like yours, Carrie, a firm that does both the design work with a licensed architect and the construction work with a custom home builder. And those firms again are referred to as design build firms. So I have a couple of questions for you, but before we jump in, I'm gonna take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm gonna ask you to explain to us how a design build firm works. So you're listening to Designing and Building Your Dream Home. I'm your host, KT, and we'll be right back.
0: Hi, this is Eric Ryder, operations manager for 1150 AM KKNW. We value your opinion and invite you to 1150kknw.com to fill out the 2023 KKNW listener survey. Your responses help us to shape KKNW to your listening needs. As an added incentive, when you fill out the survey, you'll have a chance to win an awesome prize. Complete contest details and your opportunity to help us shape this station can be found at 1150kknw.com.
3: I'm a wife. A sister. And a grandfather.
0: I'm an office clerk.
4: I'm a research analyst. Dance fitness instructor. Actor. I'm a copywriter. I'm a veteran. I have lupus. Cerebral palsy. I'm blinded. And I'm working in a job I love. I love. Because I was given a chance. To contribute my skills and talents. To
1: show that my disability is only one part of who I am.
4: Who I am. Who I am.
3: At work, it's what people can do that matters. For more
2: information, visit WhatCanYouDoCampaign.org
5: right now doctors without borders medical teams are operating in some of the most remote and dangerous corners of the world when front yards become front lines when disaster erupts when disease rages when communities collapse under crisis at the crossroads of conflict and epidemic where there are no hospitals that's where we operate We go where conditions are the worst because that's where we're needed most. In nearly 70 countries, we're saving lives threatened by violence, disease, malnutrition, and catastrophic events. Donors are vital to our mission. Your response is critical to our response in places where few others will go. That's where we operate. Learn more at doctorswithoutborders.org.
4: Start your Wednesday mornings off with a dose of courage. I'm Suzanne Weller. I'm hosting a new show called The Courage Effect. We'll be talking about what courage looks like, how we navigate what's getting in our way, and the opportunities that surface when we step out of our comfort zone. Each week, a new guest will join me to share stories about how they faced their fears, taken risks, and realized amazing things as a result. Please join us for The Courage Effect here on 1150 AM KKNW, Wednesdays at 8 AM,
5: Real people, real life, real radio. Alternative Talk, 1150.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to Designing and Building Your Dream Home. And I'm your host, KT. And with me is Carrie Anderson, an architect in the greater Seattle area. Carrie works for a design-build firm. And I asked her on the show to talk about some of the advantages of choosing to have a firm that both designs your dream home and builds your dream home. So Carrie, at the break I asked you to jump in and share some of that with us. So I'm going to give you the mic. Yeah.
2: Um, well Kevin, I'd say the, the primary advantage that we have and that I've experienced as an architect, um I've I've spent I spent most of my career working for architecture firms, design only architecture firms. And we paired with third-party builders to complete projects, had wonderful relationships with those builders and still friends with many of them today. Um, And the benefit that I see now being in the design build side is rather than having a question for my builder, composing an email, sending them an email and waiting to hear back, I've got that information right at my fingertips. My colleagues and I are just in constant communication and always informing and infusing our design process with notes about constructability of an element or a design feature with pricing of those elements. And so all of that feedback just really allows me to make better, more informed design decisions and to do so in a more timely fashion. Um, Yes, Um, and the perspective in either model, really, the architect-builder relationship should be a close one. Design-build just means that that relationship is under one one umbrella instead of two, which small side benefit to that as well is the client has one contract instead of two separate contracts with their architect and their builder. Okay. Or work savings.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's great. Now, I'm going to change gears just a little bit, because as I reminded the listeners at the the onset, um, all of the best practices in terms of making the home as uh, energy efficient as is reasonably possible, in terms of making the space inside the home more comfortable, uh, in terms of managing air quality, Uh, We've all just been through the pandemic, so in our mind is air quality. Yeah, I would have never thought about it before, but now I think about that. Not all architects and builders design high-performance homes, Um, but we want to give our listeners the tools that allow them to hold their architect and builder accountable. So I know this is an area, um, uh, designing and building high-performance homes that's an area of expertise for your firm. Can you share with us anything that would help a a listener to to decide, yeah, rather than just having your standard spec home, the the builder just builds what they wanna build and they put it up for sale, having uh, intention and going to an architect and a custom builder or a design build firm that understands how to build high-performance homes. Can you share some advantages with the listeners of of working with someone that specializes in high-performance homes? Absolutely, Katie. Um,
2: First, I'd like to start explaining what high-performance means to me. I think a lot of people hear that phrase, high-performance, and think it's highly technical or too expensive or otherwise beyond their reach. Each. In reality, though, it's just a better way of building. It's building healthier, more comfortable, more energy efficient, and environmentally responsible homes. I like to compare high performance building to buying organic produce or driving a hybrid car. Consumers see the value in those decisions and often choose to pay a premium for that value. Yet when it comes to their homes, they're willing to settle for less. Code minimum built homes are really the worst built home they are allowed to put on the market legally by building. I've
1: never heard it explained like that before, but that totally makes sense.
2: It really is true. And I mean, that all being said, there are some wonderful code built homes out there. There's some builders who are doing very responsible practices with, with the resources that they have available to them. But in my mind, if people are willing to pay extra for organic produce to pay extra for that Tesla, why aren't they willing to pay extra and invest more into this custom home that they're creating? It's just a no brainer to me to think about some of these things. And at Nest, we really don't think our clients should be settling for those code minimum basics. We specialize, again, in educating our clients on the value that high-performance building brings to their projects. And it's just baked into what we do. It's infused in everything, just like our pricing discussions, just like our constructability discussions. Now, um, high-performance building consists of a lot of strategies involving different materials, equipment, assemblies of those materials and equipments, imp- input from different subcontractors, vendors, consultants. We could, spend, we could spend an entire afternoon just talking about all of those. So I apologize if I take a little bit longer in this answer and feel free to edit me out later. Um, <laughs> but I get really excited about this topic and have a lot of information I'd like to share.
1: Excuse
2: me. Um, just to start with a personal shortlist, if we're really just gonna dial it down to some key bullet points. Uh, High-performance building strategies, bang for your buck, low-hanging fruit, easy things to incorporate into your project, heat pumps and heat pump hot water heaters, heat recovery ventilators, or HRVs, building envelope and insulation, and then non-toxic, low-carbon, and natural materials. Nice. Now, all of these are just really common sense very easy to do with little to no additional costs. I can't go into all of them, but I do wanna touch on just a couple of them as examples.
1: Sounds good.
2: First is a heat pump. A heat pump is a way to heat a home. And depending on the system, they can cost about the same or even less than a standard gas or electric furnace, but they are more energy efficient and they allow you to heat and cool the home in one system no need for a separate air conditioning unit, and they also qualify for federal rebates under the recent Inflation Reduction Act.
1: Excellent.
2: So given all of those benefits, it's really silly not to do a heat pump in your home. We all know, as we've experienced climate change in the Pacific Northwest, it's getting hotter in the summers, colder in the winters, a high efficiency heating and cooling system is just gonna get more and more important. Now, in addition to equipment, there's design strategies at our disposal. And one of those I wanna touch on is the building envelope. And when describing the envelope, what I mean, it's, it's the siding, it's the windows, it's the doors, it's the roof, it's the entire shell of the building's exterior. And just like I like to use the produce and, and a hybrid car analogy, I like to describe the importance of the envelope to my clients by comparing it to clothing. Now, there's a lot of outdoor enthusiasts in the Pacific Northwest. True. Uh, yeah. Personally, I like to sail and I sail year round. Now, when I'm on the sail, I'm on a sailboat in the middle of Puget Sound in January, <laughs> a cotton sweater is not going to keep me warm and dry. Uh, agreed. <laughs> it is not. <clears throat> and so I've invested in a specialized coat for winter sailing. It has different layers, it has different technologies built into it. And it was an investment. Now, if you're a hiker or a skier, if you camp. You understand the investment in that equipment. And your home is no different. Investing in a building envelope is just like investing in a good coat. It's the most important investment you're going to make. And it is also the most difficult to change later. Mm -hmm. Tile can be changed out. Countertops can be changed out. Flooring can be changed out. Rebuilding your walls? (laughs) Much more difficult. So that's why it's just so important to invest in the envelope from the outset.
1: That's and yeah. Keep going, yeah, keep going.
2: Personally, I like to work with a building envelope consultant because the materials, the manufacturers, the products, the technologies involved uh, are changing so rapidly. There's constantly new products being introduced to the market. So I like to work with a building envelope consultant to help me really refine those options and choose the best assembly for each of my projects and each client. But to summarize, high performance building means different things to different people. And if I could speak directly to the homeowner, I would say your architect should be able to help you identify and prioritize which strategies are most valuable to you, most feasible within your budget, and other constraints. They should be your resource.
1: Uh, Well said, well said. Well, we need to take a break and we're going to come back. We're going to, once again, kind of change it up and ask you a couple of other questions. Uh, This has been really informative, Carrie. I appreciate it. We are um, going to take a break. So Again, this is Designing and Building Your Dream Home. I'm your host, KT, and we'll be right back.
0: Hi, this is Eric Ryder, Operations Manager for 1150 AM KKW. We value your opinion and invite you to 1150KKW.com to fill out the 2023 KKW Listener Survey. Your responses help us to shape KKW to your listening needs. As an added incentive, when you fill out the survey, you'll have a chance to win an awesome prize. Complete contest details and your opportunity to help us shape this station can be found at 1150KKW.com.
5: Hi, this is United States Secretary of Labor Marty Walsh. If you're experiencing lingering symptoms of COVID-19 or long COVID, you are not alone. The U.S. Department of Labor is committed to supporting you during your recovery and our nation's recovery. You may be entitled to temporary or long-term accommodations that can help you stay on the job or return to work when you're ready. To learn more, contact Job Accommodation Network at askjan.org. That's Askjan.org.
4: What do trees make you think of? Life, longevity, health? There's a reason for that. They're the building blocks of our ecosystems, capable of restoring land and environment while creating stable food systems and economic opportunity. At Trees for the Future, for 30 years we've worked with smallholder farmers in developing countries to establish sustainable agroforestry methods. Where there was once deforestation and poor agricultural practices, there are now thriving microenvironments we call forest gardens, made up of more than 50 species of trees and dozens of shrubs, fruits, and vegetables. Through Trees for the Future's forest garden approach, thousands of farming families have successfully brought their land back to life. A sustainable solution to hunger, poverty, and climate change, sponsored by Trees for the Future. You're invited to join the movement at trees.org radio.
5: Hi, I'm comedian Darren Streblo, and each Sunday at 7 a.m., it's comedy to get your morning started right. The Darren Streblo Comedy Show features family-friendly comedy along with those little bits of encouragement that we all need to get through the week. You'll enjoy stand-up comedy, plus I visit one-on-one with comedians to find out just what makes them tick. Remember, laughter is the best medicine, and we've got your dose. Sundays at 7 a.m., it's the Darren Streblo Comedy Show on Alternative Talk 1150. There's a reason they invented the internet. It's called 1150kknw.com.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to Designing and Building Your Dream Home. I'm your host, KT, and with us is Carrie Anderson. So, Carrie, one of the cool things about building a home for your family, uh, a home that you work with the professionals that you bring on the team, you share with them what you're looking for in a home, they share with you how to make that all come to life. One of the really cool things I find is the unique things that can be added into a home, things that you really care about. Uh, You've been in residential design for, for quite a while. Is there anything that you've designed into a home for a client that was unique or maybe just something that was just really cool that you can share to give our listeners an idea of some of the things you can do when you're designing a home for your family?
2: Oh yes, I've had a lot of fun requests over the years. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> most recently, I have a client installing a 180 gallon saltwater aquarium in their home.
1: That oh, nice! Home gorgeous. <laughs> oh, I bet.
2: Yes, my my favorites though are those clients that are really committed to the high performance and okay. taking that high performance to the next level. Uh, I find it incredibly rewarding when I'm able to design a beautiful home that is also pushing the envelope on sustainability and making a real impact towards minimizing climate change. I've done a couple of projects over the years that are uh, net zero energy, for example. That means a couple of things. First of all, we have to reduce the energy demand in the home by making it more energy efficient adding extra insulation, putting in better windows and doors, reducing the uh, plug load, what we call plug loads of appliances, lighting, making all of those selections energy efficient. And then after we've done that job of reducing the energy demand, the demand that remains is offset by solar panels, most typically, or other renewable energy sources. And so a net zero energy home means the home produces as much energy as it consumes. So those kinds of projects are really exciting for me.
1: That's cool. Yeah, it's hard for for most of us thinking about instead of writing a check every month for your utilities, actually having the utility company send you a check. That's kind of hard to believe, but it's true.
2: It is very true, and it's very exciting. My family actually has solar panels on their family home in northern Wisconsin, and my brother-in-law has an app that he uses to track his solar production, and he gets so excited when he's producing more than they're using.
1: I love it. That Mm -hmm. is so awesome. Okay, so there's been a lot of interest around the country in accessory dwelling units, uh, ADUs, and I think there's also the provision that can allow the uh, dwelling units to be detached. Have you had any of your clients asking you about the feasibility of placing an ADU on their property? Absolutely,
2: Katie. Those have become incredibly popular in the recent years uh, for a number of reasons. First, we, we need a lot more housing in Seattle. Our population is just growing faster than we are building new living units. With that shortage, the second reason these are so popular, with that shortage of housing units, the units that we do have are getting more expensive. So young professionals, retirees, college graduates, teachers, other other people making a more modest income aren't able to afford to buy or even rent homes in Seattle. So it's becoming a real challenge And accessory dwelling units or ADUs and the detached accessory dwelling units, DADUs, are one way that we can overcome this hurdle. And we've had a lot of people reach out to us about these features, adding them to their home or their existing properties. Many of them are, perhaps they have children about to graduate from college who don't have a place to live once they get out of school. So they want to have a backyard cottage to have the kid be able to move in and and stay in their neighborhood and and maybe start off their professional career without paying exorbitant rents in the city of Seattle. We've also had we just recently had a phone call from a family who was going to be combining households with their parents, aging parents moving into onto the property with them into a dadu and that provided the benefit of a lower cost of living for the parents, as well as the advantage of being able to keep an eye on the parents as they age and make sure that they're doing okay.
3: That's so perfect. Yes.
2: There's, yeah. yeah, there's a number, there's a lot of demand. Other times the ADUs and DADUs are just rented out either long-term rentals um, or short-term rentals like an Airbnb. Uh and That extra rental income just makes it easier to help offset the high cost of a mortgage and taxes here in Seattle.
1: Man, that's some good stuff. Well, let me ask you this because I know in in our market, I don't know how it is in other areas of the US, but the city has actually taken the steps to provide some templated plans. Is that enough or, I mean... Is there an advantage, even if the city's offering some templated plans for an ADU, is there an advantage to still just engaging a design-build firm specifically to help me with my project?
2: Absolutely, yes. Um, The difficulty in those pre-approved plans, uh, and the city of Seattle does have 10 beautiful pre-approved DADU designs on their website. It's incredible. I highly recommend people check it out. The difficulty is applying those designs to lots in Seattle. Natural conditions being what they are in our city, we have a lot of hills, we have a lot of trees that you can't necessarily just put a structure down without taking those things into consideration. Okay. Um, A friend of mine, their firm is actually on that list of the pre-approved DADUs, and I asked him about that recently. And he said that they almost always have to customize their design for the site conditions, because of those various um, obstacles that might exist on the current on the current building lot, um, and while they're at it, the client usually other make, makes other modifications as well. Um, designing for aging parents, for example, there may require certain features like wider doorways to make it easier to get through with a walker or a wheelchair, grab bars in the bathroom things like that so they find that they usually end up customizing them somewhat
1: would it be fair to say that if it's not uncommon for the homeowner to need to have customization done on the pre-approved plans Mm -hmm. it might make sense for the homeowner who's looking to do an adu to just assume that and just go ahead and hire someone to design it specifically for your site.
2: That is true, yes. I do think the pre-approved plans get you a little bit of the way there in a design. Um, again, we were we were reached out to recently by a potential client wanting a DADU and they had looked at the site and they they had a good design direction based upon what they saw in those 10 pre-approved plans. So that can still be useful design direction for, for us to start with, rather than starting out at, at um from zero from a blank slate. Um, but I would say when it comes to affordability, these pre-approved plans, um the the costs yeah. of design are a very small percentage when it comes to the overall cost of a DADU. Okay. The real difficulty, the real barrier to ADUs and DADUs that we're seeing isn't the availability of design options, but the cost of construction. Okay. Unfortunately, the cost of construction in new in Seattle these days is just very high. Very high. Um, we are seeing easily four to five hundred dollars a square foot for new construction. And that's even higher on DADUs usually because there's no economy of scale. Right. As opposed to a regular house that has a kitchen, a bathroom and maybe three or four bedrooms. A DADU has a kitchen and a bath and one bedroom. So this it has is
1: has uh, the same this
2: cost.
1: Is, yeah. I was gonna say, this is why kids clothes cost as much as adult clothes. Yes, because they still have a sleeve. Economy of scale.
2: They still have sleeves. They still have all of the <laughs> stitching at the seams. Um, Yes, there's no economy of scale. So a DAD, I was just, again, for potential clients researching this, we've priced out multiple DADUs. I've talked to other builders in the area who are doing them, and we are seeing a DADU cost at least four hundred dollars to $500,000. Uh, it's obviously a big investment for a homeowner. So that's really the barrier to why more ADUs and DADUs aren't being built, is construction. Okay.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. I would say um, that's exactly the kind of conversation a person would have with their architect because we may be new to it and kind of learn in our way as a homeowner, Mm -hmm. but a professional like Carrie is dealing with this all the time. And so she's gonna be in a position to help us make the right decision for our family. Well, we got to take a quick break here, and then we'll be right back to to uh, wrap up the show. Again, you're listening to Designing and Building Your Dream Home. I'm your host, KT, and we'll be right back.
0: Hi, this is Eric Ryder, Operations Manager for 1150 AM KKW. We value your opinion and invite you to 1150KKW.com to fill out the 2023 KKW Listener Survey. Your responses help us to shape KKW to your listening needs. As an added incentive, when you fill out the survey, you'll have a chance to win an awesome prize. Complete contest details and your opportunity to help us shape this station can be found at 1150KKW.com. I see you finally got a new helmet. I did. Bought it cheap online. <laughs> Follow me. We'll turn off here. I'm right behind you. Watch the cars.
4: They can be crazy. Patty!
0: Oh, no! Are you okay?
2: Somebody do something!
4: Was this young man hit by a car?
2: Yes, and his helmet is smashed. It's a brand new
5: helmet. It's probably a fake. Fakes cause real harm. You're smart, buy smart. Brought to you by the National Crime Prevention Council and the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office.
3: You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life but there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it, but only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids. Parents and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patients need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missingtypes or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today.
1: This is Martha Norwalk every Sunday morning beginning at 9 a.m. Thanks in part to Dr. Nels Rasmussen at HealingMinistryForAnimals.com, we cover the world of animals. This week, April 16th, it's Behavior Training and Healing Sunday with me and talk with your animals or human loved ones this side or the other and personal awareness coaching with Natasha Venter. Hope you can join us and plan to call in with your questions for either one of us or a personal reading with Natasha. Martha Norwalk's Animal World Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, AM 1150.
5: Alternative Talk 1150 online at 1150kknw.com.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to Designing and Building Your Dream Home. I'm your host, KT. And with us today is Carrie Anderson. So, Carrie, uh, I want to just go back for a moment and touch on something that um, in not everyone looking to uh, design and build their dream home is going to be aware of, and that's the process that someone who is a licensed architect would take you through in the planning for your home. It's it's a process that's been proven over time it leads to a successful project. Um, Can you just kind of lay out some of those steps so that the listeners will understand some of the value of having a licensed architect working for you?
2: Yes, Um, this is actually something that the Ask an Architect program that you had mentioned previously used to outline in, in a great amount of detail. And that's the different phases of design. Those of us in the industry refer to these phases constantly. It's our general workflow, it's our standard. We we repeat it on every project, large or small, regardless of the scale of the project. We go through all of these phases throughout design. And those phases are pre-design, schematic design, design development, and construction documents. And we have abbreviations for those. So schematic design, for example, is SD. So if you hear your architect throw out that phrase, remind them, hey, what does that mean again? Remind <laughs> me, we get used to it. We are just so used to in the industry throwing out the SD, DD, CD, all of that shorthand. Um, it's a good reminder to us to stop and explain what we're talking about. So just to walk you through those phases really briefly and quickly, Um, Pre-design starts with understanding the client's goals and vision for the project. What are they trying to accomplish? Why are they doing the project? What's their motivation? This is sometimes called a programming phase. And once we, as your architect, understand the motivation, the constraints, all of that behind the project, we can much more effectively start the design work. And that happens in the schematic design phase or SD, as I mentioned. And that's where we actually put pen to paper. And I still literally put pen to paper in the early phases of design. I still enjoy pen sketching. Um, And that schematic design is where we determine where things are going to go. What room is gonna be where? What room is it gonna be next to? How do those rooms relate to each other? What's the ceiling height of that space? We figure out the layout and the shape and the general volumes of the site. And in design build, we also run preliminary pricing at this point as well. We don't know too much about the design at that point, but we do know the rough square footage and other maybe smaller details or, or larger general concepts that we can start to put some numbers to. And we find it's really helpful. To price at the end of each of these design phases to make sure that our assumptions and our design going forward is in alignment with the client's budget goals and expectations. There's no use in designing a project fully and then having it priced. That just usually results in heartbreak and having to slash budgets and cut out things that the client was really excited about doesn't make anybody happy. I don't like doing it as an architect, clients don't like to to do it and to say goodbye to things that they were really excited about. So we price at every single one of these phases. So again, SD determines where things go and roughly the shape of the project. The next phase, design development, we layer on more detail. We start to think about materials. We start thinking about kitchen and bath layouts and cabinetry. We bring on a structural engineer to help inform the design and how we're actually gonna support everything. And we we usually start to think about mechanical equipment at that stage as well. The energy code of late has become more involved in requesting information about your water heater, your furnace to make sure that those, those appliances and that equipment is meeting energy code. So we usually need to identify that soon We might also start thinking about doors and windows, as those are things that are what we call long lead time items. It can take several months to get those ordered, manufactured, and made. So sometimes we front load some of those material and product orders earlier in design in order to have them ordered and get them to arrive on time. And then finally, the construction documents phase or the CDs is where we we wrap everything up. We detail everything in extensive drawings and coordination with consultants. The building envelope, like I mentioned before, we we look through all of those details and pick out all of those materials. I like to pick out everything from the plumbing fixtures, the light fixtures, tile, all of our materials, even down to things like the cabinet pulls. I like to make as many selections as I can in the CD phase because it saves the client from having to make those decisions later on in construction when we're perhaps under a deadline or the client is just in general stressed out because their house is torn apart. In a real, <laughs> <example>. So <clears throat> construction documents is where all of the details of how the project will get built is decided. And again, at the end of construction documents, we do full pricing. We, we work out a construction budget and a schedule for the project that both then become part of our contract with the client moving into
1: construction. And that was great. So uh, hopefully as you're listening to Carrie talk, you're, you're realizing how much value a licensed architect can bring to the construction process, design and construction of a single family home. And that's why it's just so important by just way of gentle reminder, it's just so important. If you're gonna undertake a project like this, you really need a licensed architect. They're your advocate. They're gonna help ensure that the things that happen in the design and build out of your home, they're gonna be there to help guide your project to success. And if you're just getting started and you're wondering, well, how do I get an architect? There's no better place to start than the uh, website of the local AIA chapter in your community. Their AIA chapters are all over the U.S. And speaking of the AIA, that that brings me back to you, Carrie. You're a licensed architect who specializes in residential design. You're a leader in the uh, local AIA Cran chapter in Seattle. Spark uh, supporting AIA members and and other architects in the community. You're on the board of directors for um, AIA Seattle. Can you share with the listeners why involvement for an architect in the AIA is important, either to you or to other professionals in the industry that you work with?
2: Absolutely, KT. Um, First of all, I will point out, Washington State um, actually allows designers to design up to four dwelling units. So a quadplex or a triplex or duplex without an architect's license. So most residential practitioners do not need to be a licensed architect. I do still see the value of it for me personally uh, in the level of training and the informed perspective it gives to my work. The The process that I went to through to get licensed just gave me a whole other Perspective on how I approach my job and the design. I think, and I think being involved in the AIA chapter gives me additional, in addition to just educational resources and continuing education that help me to stay current in, for example, some of the building materials I was mentioning earlier, other assemblies, codes, so on and so forth, that help me to stay up to speed in what I do it also is a very powerful network and a very useful network if I'm struggling with something and I I don't have an answer for a client I can reach out to my AIA colleagues and chances are somebody in my network will know and will be able to help me out and vice vice versa for them I think it's a very important collective that we have together to to share those connections share that knowledge and just support each other in doing good work
1: that's great. Yeah, I, I second everything that you said, working with a number of architects that are AIA members throughout the country, serving on senior leadership for the uh, Custom Residential Architects Network nationally for the AIA. Everything you said about the the benefit that uh, architects receive by having the AIA as a network um, is spot on. Congratulations on all of your success. I'm very excited for our listeners have had the opportunity to have you kind of share some of the knowledge that they need in order to make more informed decisions about a home that could be one of the biggest investments they make. Um, but being able to to know what questions to ask the builder, to be able to choose a design build as opposed to separating out the architect and the custom builder, being able to ask some questions like, how are you gonna address the building envelope? Those are just things that super valuable and it was great to hear you uh, vocalize them so that the listeners can make some notes and again, make better informed decisions. So thank you for being on the show. Carrie, we're creating and designing uh, your dream home. I'm your host, KT, and we'll see you next week.
0: You're listening to Designing and Building Your Dream Home with KT. If you'd like to reach out to today's guest, Carrie Anderson, AIA, she can be reached at CarrieA622 at gmail.com. That's CarrieA622 at gmail.com. You can hear today's program on the advantages of choosing a design slash build firm, along with earlier episodes of this show, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.